Well, we want to welcome you today to the Awakening Moments podcast. I'm here with Rhonda, and we are excited to dive into another awesome topic today. We're going to be talking about Abigail, the life of Abigail, one of the women in the Bible, who is not often actually talked about. In fact, her story really just has one chapter in the Bible, but it is a powerful, powerful story. And there's a lot that we can pull out of her story today. So we're excited to dig into that. Kind of a funny story as we just begin. We um, already did this podcast. (laughs) This is take two. But um, we forgot to press record. So yeah, after a good like 30, 40 minutes of unpacking all of the things that we uh, learned about the life of Abigail, we forgot to press record. And Anyways, I guess this was meant to be. It's meant to be. We're just keeping it real. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So this happens. We're not really that techie people. So I'm surprised it actually hasn't happened before. I think maybe one other time in all of our four years of podcasting. So that's not too bad. Four years. Oh my goodness. Let's just take a moment. Four years we've been doing this. Four years. (gasps) Almost every week for the last four years we've been doing this podcast. I know it's awesome. It's awesome. And we so appreciate all of you who listen and have come along this journey with us. It is, it's amazing. And it really is. Uh, We love it. We love the time together. We love the time with you. We love the time, honestly, just unpacking all that God is speaking to us and processing all of this with you Um, imperfectly, of course, and humbly, but we just, we so appreciate it. So let's dive in. We're going to actually be talking about the story of Abigail from 1 Samuel chapter 25. And so if you are at home and you want to follow along, you can open up your Bibles. You can read through the story. I'm just going to do a a bit of a summary of the story. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but it is a fantastic story. And I really do encourage you at some point just to go in and to read through the story and see what God wants to speak to you personally through this story. But Abigail was the wife of a very, very rich man named Nabal. So the scriptures actually say he had 3,000 sheep and three and 1,000 goats. So apparently animal rich is extremely rich mm. <laughs> in Bible times. And so it was shearing time where they had lived. And the scriptures actually say, they actually describe Abigail in this way. They say the woman was discerning and beautiful. So interesting. Two words, two words that really do hold a lot of weight. So she was physically very, very beautiful. And again, the scriptures only actually comment on the way someone looks if that is important to the story, if that's important to sort of why um, the series of events are going to happen. And so in this case, Abigail is pointed out as a beautiful woman, but it also says that she was discerning. And that is an incredible spiritual gift. I mean, even if you think about it from this perspective, you know, there is a list of what, 14, 20, or I actually, I should know this. How many spiritual gifts are there? We did the spiritual gifts. um, Is there like 21? I think there's 21. 21 spiritual gifts. I know that was a while ago, eh? It is a while. I think it is 21. Different spiritual (laughs) gifts that God gives. Well, even to see in the Old Testament, like a specific spiritual gift mm. was given to her. She was very discerning. So you know that she would have had a wisdom, but discerning also has to do with even spiritual things. It's mm-hmm. not just in the natural, what you see, but a, an ability to be able to understand what's taking place in a spiritual sense or what has spiritual weight. And so that's kind of a unique and interesting characteristic to give her. 
but it says that her husband, Nabal, was a harsh man and he was badly behaved. He was literally an abusive husband. He was just uh, a terrible, terrible guy. He was unliked. He behaved badly. He was rude. And um, we're going to see this play out in the story. So David and his men had been kind of in the surrounding area where Nabal's property was and David and all of his mighty men. And there had been a lot of war that was taking place and they nothing had happened to Nabal and his property. And I mean, it doesn't say this specifically, but it, David's kind of alluding to the fact that he, him and his men have never brought any harm. There's been a sort of protection around um, Nabal and his property. And so David goes to him and he says, listen, like me and my guys are we're really hungry. Like, could we, could you make some food for us? Could you give us some provisions? And, you know, this is like, it's a realistic request. It sounds maybe a little bit weird to us, but this is a realistic request in this time. And again, you have to think of it like, you know, David and his men could have literally just overtook Nabal's family and property and demanded mm. that they provide for them. But that wasn't David's way because David trusted God for what he needed. And so he went in and he just asked and he did it in a very peaceful way. It actually says that he approached Nabal in a peaceful way. And Nabal literally says, absolutely not. Who do you think you are? Like what David, you know, and he, he, he um, makes fun of his name. He insults him. He's rude to him. And David is so angry. He loses his mind pretty much. He gets <laughs> so <laughs> angry. Now, oh I, I think too, um, Nabal may have been drunk because sheep, sheep shearing season was like a time, a festival time. It was a time of celebration. He may have been even drunk. So he may have just been belligerent and all of this. Right. But David was like not having this. He was like this guy. We could have taken over this guy. We could have killed him and all of his family. Well, he was so angry. He makes a vow on the spot and he says, that's it. I, we're going to take over. We're going to kill him, all of his servants, all of his family. And he makes a vow. Now, back in like the Bible time, when you made a vow, like you had to do it. It wasn't, you, you didn't just say like, oh, I'm going to kill him. Like as like we make those kinds of, we say those kinds of words all the time we don't mean. No, when you make a vow, you're bound to actually do that what you say and we can see in many um bible stories where people made vows kind of too quickly and just devastating consequences followed abigail hears of what has transpired she hears from one of the servants that you know david and his men have come and now david has said like that's it i'm taking i'm taking this guy out and all of his family and she decides that she's going to do something about this and again I believe that her being described as discerning, she knew there was something significant to this moment, not just that she wanted to protect herself or her family. There was a deeper motivation, I think, that caused her to go against what her husband said and to respond to David. I think that God gave her a discerning spirit to know, no, there's something about this guy and we need to do what he's asked us to do. So she goes, she makes uh, preparations and she brings them down out to David. It says that she rode she um she rode a donkey out to him. She got down on the ground and she fell before him and she bowed her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and she literally says these words. She says, "On me alone, my lord, be the guilt." 
please let your servant speak in your ears. Hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for his name is so he is. Nabal, his name is folly. It literally means fool. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, as my Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. She steps into this moment um, and says, please put the guilt of my foolish husband. His name literally means fool. Please put that on me. She didn't do anything. She didn't do anything. She's trying to actually make amends, but she bows her face to the ground. She says, please put his guilt on my shoulders. And would you accept this gift to atone for my husband's sin? We actually see Abigail in this moment. First of all, as a woman, David could have just struck her mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. This was not appropriate what she was doing. Secondly, she steps into a place of atonement for her family, similarly to what Jesus did for us. And it shows us, again, the heart of a servant. She is not looking to save herself. She's actually asking him, put his guilt, the guilt of my husband on myself. Let me take the guilt, but please spare my family. Please spare, you know, my husband and all of this. And I think like that's the moment that just absolutely astounds me about the courage of Abigail. This is where the discernment, the gift of discernment in her life plays out in such a sacrificial way and such a profound, profound way. Well, David is so taken back by this that he literally takes back the vow, which that never happens. But again, the scriptures actually say that if you make a vow in sin, so he made a vow in anger, he never should have made that vow. It's actually worse to carry out a vow that you made in sin than to take back a vow. It's a sin to take back a vow, but it's a lesser sin to take back a vow that you made in sin. So interesting kind of series of events that's happening. Well, David responds, he takes back the vow and Abigail saves her family. She goes back home. This is not the end of the story. This story just keeps getting this better is a movie. and better. This would literally be a movie. It's a ep- pretty epic story. It's a crazy story. <laughs> so she goes back home. Amazing. She tells her husband what she's done. Wow. He is so shocked that he has a stroke <laughs> or a heart attack or something. And he dies 10 days later. He literally is so shocked and he dies 10 days later. And David eventually takes Abigail as part of his family. Uh, she becomes one of his wives and she's restored and her family's restored and her heritage is restored. And there's, it's just a crazy, crazy series of events of an incredibly courageous woman of God, um, discerning woman of God who stands again in the place of atonement for her foolish husband, her sinful husband who did not deserve this. But again, she has a greater vision for what it is Mm -hmm. that God wants to do in this story. So I just love that. 
Well, this is honestly, she is a hero. Like she's amazing. This is an incredible story of faith. I love how you unpack this, Lauren. Two things that kind of stand out to me. I mean, so many things stand out. I mean, you could pick this apart. We could take lots of time. But the first one that stands out is I love that when it talks about her discerning spirit. And then when you look at 1 Samuel 25, verse 18, it says, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered in the sense she got everything ready. But I love the word she wasted no time. That discernment went right off and she didn't sit and second guess it or think, you know what? I, I, maybe I'm not doing this right. She just responded. She just knew what she needed to do and she wasted no time. She allowed no room for doubt or second guessing to get in because she had a discerning spirit. And look how that act, the quickness of her act saved her life too because had she delayed, who knows what David would have done? Because if you look at how many men, it lists around 600 men. And these were mighty men. These, like God talks about the mighty men of David. They were extraordinary men like they had defeated one could take out like 100 men like they were extraordinary warriors and here she wasted no time she actually felt and knew the urgency and stepped into a divine moment and just stepped into it and i think that just kind of takes me to the next step of what stands out is you know she did not come from the best circumstance she did not wait for her circumstance to be resolved or to have a better circumstance to say, well, once that is you know, changed, I can then become what maybe I've always dreamed to be or what I feel like I should be. And I just felt like that really spoke to me because she stepped into a moment, a divine moment that actually for years had been in preparation. She had a humble heart, a discerning heart. Who knows behind the scenes how many things she had probably preserved Nabal from how much favor she had within her household. I mean, even her servant followed her. Like she just quickly made a decision and they were, her servant was going ahead. There wasn't like, there obviously was years of preparation. And I just want to encourage anyone listening, you know, it can be really difficult. We find ourselves in a very difficult circumstance when we think, well, if only this resolves, I can be when this, you know, this happens, then perhaps I can make a decision like that. No, every single day matters. All of the things we do behind the scenes matter because we don't know when that divine moment will happen. I don't think she woke up that day and knew this would be the day that she would literally save her household and meet her future husband. Like she didn't know all this was happening. And so we don't know when divine moments are upon us, but every day is divine in the decisions we choose, the way we choose to live, despite our circumstances, we can live in a way that sets us up to quickly move into divine opportunity, not even knowing the outcome of that, but it could literally be that huge pivotal turn that was set up from all those many millions of tiny little decisions we make with integrity and character behind the scenes. That is so good. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says, you know, whatever your hands find themselves, do it as unto the Lord. Whatever your hands find themselves to do, do it as unto the Lord. And I, you know, again, I just love how you brought that out because I wonder what her everyday life was. And I do agree that she was being prepared to respond to this moment for many, many, many years. And I feel like today in our culture and in like this, this time that we live, there's so much emphasis on 
like immediate gratification on like our personal mm. happiness so right good. now, so true. like our personal happiness in the now that I think sometimes it can be, we can actually um, shortcut or like be short sighted in what God is actually trying to prepare us for in the long run. And, you know, as we read these stories of faith and these stories of men and women, you know, throughout the Bible, we read these like grand, like this is a grand story. This is one part, one moment in her entire life. I don't know if the rest of her days were spent quite mundane, just with her, you know, preparing meals for her family and taking care of her family and just doing the everyday work of what it meant, you know, what her responsibilities were. Like, we don't know. But I think sometimes when we find ourselves in difficult relationships, in difficult, maybe a difficult work environment, our desire is, oh, God would never want me like God would never want me to be in this marriage. God God would never want me to be unhappy. God would never want me to be in this job. And I I I don't I think that's the wrong question. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the wrong question. I I wonder if it's more like, is God with me in this marriage? Is God with me in this job? And the answer to that is yes absolutely he is. And what is it that he wants to teach you? What is it that he wants to show you? What is it that he's preparing you for? I mean, one of the things again in Abigail's life, and I think this is what set her up to be able to respond in this moment is that she obviously did not care about her life to the point of that she was willing to risk death. She was willing to risk death to save her family. She was even willing to risk death to disobey her husband. Like this is not okay in this time and culture. And all of these things could have meant in the end of her life. And it would have been, oh, that would have been the right response in this for this time. She was willing to risk all of that to lay her light, her very life down in order to spare somebody else's. And so that sacrificial kind of love, like, and that sacrificial just ability to, again, consider others as better than herself, prepared her to be able to be obedient in this moment. And sometimes I think, you know, the scriptures, they, they teach us all of these things about this, how even finding our purpose in life is going to come through servanthood. It's going to come through actually laying our life down, laying down our rights and serving the pe- the people that God has placed in our life. Whereas I think we, we mix that up and we think, no, like my happiness is the number one priority. If I'm not happy, I need to get out of whatever situation I'm in. Whereas like, what is God building in that? What does God want to speak to you in that? What does God want to show you about his character in that? What miracles does he want to do? What's he preparing you for? And I do believe like there is an epic part of all of our stories that that is unfolding. But I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like a hundred epic parts. I think we're we're all going to walk something and there's going to be an epic moment that we're being prepared for. But we can usurp that epic moment if we're constantly just looking for, well, I just want to be happy. Like, I just, I, I don't want any discomfort. I don't want any, you know, uh, any strife, any difficulty, any struggle. Like, I, I don't know. I think it's out of these things that is the preparation for the very... Now, that being said, I, I'm not advocating for, you know, if somebody 
if you find yourself in an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. an abusive mm-hmm. marriage, you know, I'm not saying that like, you know, Abigail was in an abusive, an abusive marriage here. And so I, I'm not saying that's okay. I, I don't think God's okay with that, but God certainly had a plan of restoration for Abigail. And we see again and again and again, you know, men and women of God taking measures into their own hands to try to do what God wants to do in a powerful, miraculous and redemptive way. So that's kind of the question of like, that I think that God wants us to consider. Mm. Whatever situation that we find ourselves in, where am I taking into my own hands, you know, what I think my life should look like, what I think that, you know, where, where I should be, my happiness, all of those things, and where can I actually trust that God is working out something far bigger than what I can see in this immediate moment. And honestly, setting me up for an epic story of redemption and of a miracle and of being used by God in a profound and a powerful, powerful way. So yeah, it's just, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. I think about people too, who, and maybe Rhonda, you might want to speak into this, but I think about people who may be um, with an unsaved spouse. So this is her story, right? She's with someone, she's discerning. So she obviously has some sort of awareness of God or at least the God of David. Um, whereas Nabal has absolutely no no faith whatsoever. So, you know, there's a there's a purpose in the midst of that too. There's there's God can work incredible, incredible things, even in that kind of story. So I don't know if you want to speak into that a little bit. No, people I, who find themselves exactly and i love that because she was the unlikely character in this story to kind of step in and see a complete restoration of her family actually a protection and her family would have been annihilated completely wiped out she's the unlikely one really to have done that especially in that time in that era we're not diminishing women but this time it was a totally different culture and time she would have almost been like a property a piece of property this would not have been like we view marriage today but it just shows the power of how God used her to preserve her family and how God had a restoration process and plan not even just for her but for her children's children for an inheritance for her and so I think those that are finding themselves listening today that may be in a marriage with you know a spouse that does not yet have a revelation I mean we always believe in faith and we stand God has you positioned in your family to pray to hold faith because it's not always even for us it's for our children's children so hold fast pray the power of prayer the power of discernment the proud the power of seeing these divine moments and being able to step right into that happens like we've been speaking about every single day every single moment that we have that god has given us to steward every day is a gift from him that we choose to trust that god you're with me here and you are the one that is the author and the finisher and we can take matters into our own hands but there's nothing like getting on our knees and that posture of humility to say god i want to fix this i want to bring this person faster to faith I maybe see the opposite. I see them actually challenging me more. I maybe see them actually going further away. When we get on our knees, we can say, okay, God, we trust that you are with me, but you're also with my spouse. You're always also with my child. You're also in the midst of the circumstance. And I've got to trust that you could do what only you could do because we cannot take that into our own hands. 
We cannot save somebody. We cannot bring a revelation, but God can. And he's with us. And the power of a righteous woman or man avails much. It brings much. And so we can pray. We can use that. And we can step into those divine moments. She saw a divine moment and she stepped in. But there were divine moments all through her life that maybe we don't recognize. How many things do we look back? We're like, oh my goodness, I never... I never realized how divine that decision was or that small turn or I decided not to do this and how the outcome could have been so different. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And I think once again, it's showing us the reliance we need on God. We need a reliance on the Holy Spirit because every single day there's these moments where we feel the restraint maybe to hold back or the boldness to step in, the boldness to say something, but it always should come from a posture of prayer, a posture of like, God, we need you. And so Abigail's reminder, once again, that she relied on, we don't know the whole story of her faith, but we look at the lineage that came, there was what she decided to do, changed the whole lineage, but it was for her children's children, God preserved. So you are set up in your family. There is a call on you. You are where you are. God has positioned you and thank God, Abigail was positioned in her home. You are there for a purpose. And we just speak over you, encouragement. May you be encouraged by this, that God had a plan to unfold for years after Abigail, but she was part of a story, an ongoing story. You are part of an ongoing story that God is rewriting, repositioning. So stand your ground. Don't lose heart. Be encouraged. God had you positioned in your family for such a time. And so you are a righteous woman or man in your family and begin to call into your family in faith, in life, the things that you don't see, call in faith into that and begin to breathe with your words, fresh life, because there's power in the spoken word. There's power in where you're positioned. Oh, so powerful. So powerful. Thank you for speaking that right into our spirits, because it's easy to get discouraged in the day to day. You know, when we, when we are walking out what we don't want to see. So thank you for speaking that into us. That's so good. All right. One more part of this story I think we should dig into just a little bit is, you know, Abigail's sacrificial, selfless love uh, and and just act of wanting to really, really lay down her own risk, her own life for the sake of others. And I want you to think about both you, Rhonda, but also you who are listening. Think about someone in your life who does not deserve your kindness. Like just that person, whoever that person is, <laughs> like that person who is just a constant thorn in your side, that person who no matter what you do, it's not appreciated, it's not seen, that person who maybe takes advantage of you, that person who, who is an undeserving person in your life. And I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine First Corinthians 13 kind of love for that person. This is exactly what she's walking out. And so Rhonda, talk to us about like, how do you think we actually live this out? How do we do this? How do we love this way? Especially people who genuinely don't deserve it. I mean, Jesus said, the greatest of all is a servant, right? The greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. Like that's Jesus has established this both like right in creation, you're called to right guard and steward. We're we're literally called to serve and steward and be a guard. Jesus said, I came 
not to be served, but to serve the king of heaven, the king, the capital L-O-R-D said, I came not to be served, but to serve, showed us the way to do that. How do we actually live this out? How do we do this? Because honestly, if I'm really, really honest, I get petty. Like I get so petty. I get petty with my kids. I get petty with my husband. I get petty with my friends. I'm like, well, they didn't, they haven't called me. Like they, and I mean, I don't do it consciously. It's not like I, I get petty consciously, but subconsciously I definitely do. Like I, like it's easy to give sacrificially to someone who loves you, who encourages you, who builds you up. It's so easy to go drop flowers off to someone you really love, you really admire, you really respect. But like, what about that person who is talking about you behind your back? What about that person who hasn't been there for you when like you really needed them to, or you wanted them to? What about that person who is just constantly demanding more of you and yet you just can't seem to ever make them happy? I mean, we all have these people in our lives. How do we do this? How do we walk this out? How do we get there? Like, I think we're all like, this is tough. This is tough. It's really tough. And we're not talking about boundaries here. We're not talking about people that take advantage. It's important to have boundaries. We're not, we're just talking about how do you love when it's tough, when it actually grates you and you're like, not that person. No, God, not that. You know, we have this story of like, there was a neighbor we had that was really, really difficult. And I mean, really difficult. And Jay and I were kind of, we actually considered moving. We're like, like he did not deserve your love. No, no. (laughs) And it was tough. And the whole neighborhood there was just really a difficult, difficult personality. Very hot tempered, very temperamental, very explosive, and just, yeah, very interesting relationship. And I mean, we considered moving. We're like, you know what? This is just a really toxic background, backyard neighbor. And one day, God really convicted Jay to go and get some gift cards and drop them off at his house and just say, you know, we just appreciate you. And I was like, no, no, you're not. No, no. There's no way we're going to do that. Like, there's no way. You know, I didn't want to. I did not want to. Now, my Jay was way better than me, okay? He did it. He was obedient. He went and did that. But we didn't feel it. This was not someone that was even deserving of that. You know, it's funny, though, how we can look at a circumstance like that and think, you know, you're not deserving of any love. Like you have not earned it. You don't have the right for me to love you in that way. And I love how God will bring, we call them grace growers because it's actually not about that person. It's actually about you. And when we think of first, when we think of first Corinthians, that is an impossible task to do in our, in our own way. And I mess up in this in every single way, but you know, that's how God loves us. And those moments remind us of that's, how I am. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us when we were fully surrendered and come. He died while we were yet sinners. He chose us. Like he loved us before we loved him. But that is a difficult thing to do. Now, can we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. But is it easy? No, because our flesh does not want to. Our spirit, we can ask the Holy Spirit to take over and to help our spirits to want what he wants and to transform us. But it can take time. And oftentimes, like forgiveness or loving, it's a choice. It's not always feeling based. You know, I think that's sometimes maybe a misconception that we feel something and that all of a sudden makes it like we're ready to do it. No, it's a choice. It's a choice to love. It's a choice to die to our flesh. 
a choice to silence out our heart. We've talked about that. Our heart is so wicked. Our feelings will lead us astray. But if we choose to say, no, I'm going to choose to love because God's asking me to, and I'm going to do this out of obedience. Do I feel like doing it? No. So flesh, get out of here. Order to my spirit. I'm actually going to do this because I know this is the right thing to do. Do I want to? No, but I'm going to align it and I'm going to silence my heart and my mind and my mouth. And I'm going to speak words of life, words of blessing. And over time, God could literally transform us. But it's not easy. It is not easy. But it really is a choice. And you know, even God talks about loving him. If you love me, you'll obey me. It's an action. It's a feeling. It's not just a feeling like if you love me, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll feel that way about me. No, God's saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. And obedience brings blessing. And as we obey, our spirits submit. God has this pliable place to transform us. But if we go by feeling, if we go waiting till we feel like doing it, we won't ever act. that. I know I won't because, man, most of the time God's asked me to act out in love for someone that's been difficult. I have never felt like it. It's never been like this time of prayer and then all of a sudden God gives me this overwhelming love for somebody and I just move. No, it's usually like, I want you to do this and I fight it. I fight it and then he'll ask me to do it again and I'll fight it again. But you know what? Over time, God transforms me and it's not even about the person. It's about me. And God reveals that actually that's what God's done for me. But man, I can hold a different right. Like people have to earn it. But I don't want to have to earn it with God. It's crazy how that happens. I'm double standard. I'm double minded. Oh, but the Lord in his grace and mercy <laughs> does it to show me the air of my own way. And so I don't know if you want to speak a bit more into that. But uh, that that was that was so good. That was so good. And it's so true. That's exactly where we're at, which is why it's so important to come to the Lord with a humble and repentant heart. Honestly, we do to God like God's grace towards us and his immeasurable, unconditional love towards us is what he's asking us to do. He's showing us the way, but yet we want that, but we won't, don't want to give it to anybody else. I think you said that <laughs> so, so, so well. True. You know, it's funny because Jesus talks about the law, right? An eye for an eye. And we love that. We're like, oh, I can get behind an eye for an eye. Absolutely. You take something from me, I'll take something from you. What did Jesus say? No, my command to you is to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. So I think it all starts with prayer. Like, I think that's the starting place. We need to start with prayer. And I loved how you said too, no, I'm going to align <laughs> to obedience and my words and use my words for blessing and use my words for life. And again, what's the promise? The promise is we get life in return. Yes. So this is a good result for us, right? Whereas if we want to engage in cursing and death, well, guess what we're heaping upon ourselves? Like honestly, even in any of these kinds of situations where we're being mistreated and all of that, the scriptures are clear. If we want life, we have to use our words mm. to bring life and blessing. Even if we're being mistreated, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I think this starts in prayer. And I think the reason it starts in prayer is because like you're saying, this is impossible for us to do on our yeah. own. Yeah. We do not have the strength for it. We don't have the fortitude. We cannot 
actually do it in our, we can't just will ourselves to do it. We can maybe do it for a little while, but we will lose steam along the way. And that flesh will rise up and we'll be like, how dare they? And then we're looking to look for some people to come on our side. And I mean, we, we are all, our human flesh is just, it's the same. It's the same. And it connects with each other's mm. human flesh. And then we get, you know, we, we create camps and sides and all of this happens. But I think it all starts in prayer. I think we have to quiet ourselves before the Lord. I think we have to lift up, you know, just the hurt and the pain that we've experienced to the Lord and let him bring healing, not look uh, for a person to do what only God can do in our heart, even when it comes to restoration and redemption. Like that is something supernatural. It's actually a miracle when God can restore your heart from a pain or a brokenness or a betrayal or something that a person has caused you without even that person acknowledging what has happened. And that is possible in God. Mm. Yes, there's always the hope that there's um, reconciliation that happens, you know, friend to friend, mother, son, you know, relationship, whatever the relationship is. But God can actually bring full healing to our hearts in a redemptive and a miraculous, miraculous way, even if that person is never open or receptive for that redemption to happen. But again, I think it all starts in prayer. We have to bring, you know, our brokenness to the Lord. We have to come humbly before him. We have to recognize the grace that we've been given. We need to extend that same grace. We need to exercise forgiveness. Um, we need to verbalize it. We need to be able to say it out loud. And then in prayer, you know, pray words of blessing for those who hurt us and who've harmed us. And I think if we could do this practice, like let's make it like really, really, really practical. If we could do this practice in our closest relationships, like our marriage, the tensions in our marriage, if instead of retaliating, instead of putting up a wall of defense, you know, because we've been hurt or harmed and turning our back towards our spouse, if we softened in a posture of prayer and began to pray blessing on them and began to pray, you know, for their heart and began to pray, you know, that God would, um, you know, reveal himself to them and pour out his love to them and bring healing to our hearts as a result of the hurt. I think that softens our posture towards that person. And then we can actually begin to respond self-sacrificially. We can respond from a place of love, but not in and of ourselves mm. through the help of the Holy Spirit. There was this really awesome marriage book that I read one time, and um, I think it was called um, The Seven... It it, it it was something like the seven ways to, oh, I, you know what, I, I don't I don't have it at the top of my head, but how to have a healthy marriage, the seven ways to have a healthy marriage, something like that. I believe the author is John Gottman. So if you do want to look it up, you can look it up. It's the seven something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, anyways, one of these practices that they talked about was about bids. And it said that, you know, throughout a day, there are like something like 40 or 50 bids that go out in a, in a marriage relationship. And a bid is really just like a, um, a way that you are looking to connect with your spouse. And they could be super, super small. It could be as small as like, good morning. Like that's a bid. And so one of the keys for, oh, it was the seven principles of a lasting marriage. Now I just remembered. So one of the keys to have a lasting marriage was that there's a certain percentage of bids that happen in a day that need to be responded to. And they're actually like, this was, this book was written from a scientific perspective, like research only. And they studied so many couples and they could see that couples that last, the, the response to these bids that go back and forth between couples, these bids for connection, 
um, were at a certain percentage, something like 75% of the bids, there was a response that came back and forth. And so again, I think it just goes to show that in relationship, you know, we want to always be paying attention to small, small ways that we can love people, that we can reach out, that we can connect. And they don't have to be big and they don't have to be significant. Sometimes it's just like as simple as like a kind text. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, right, dropping a note in the mail or even just, you know, preparing a meal or picking something up. Like it, it, these can be really, really, really small, small things. Um, or even just the way we think about somebody or the way, you know, taking time to pray for them. Mm -hmm. These small things can make a big difference. And yeah, I think that's a starting, a starting ground. I love that, Laura. And I think as we're coming to a close here, I just love that you brought up even First uh, Corinthians 13, when we we're talking about love, because Abigail was an example to us of sacrificial love. And it really was like, she's not Jesus, but showed in, you know, forerunning of what Jesus was going to do, like that kind of sacrificial laying down was extraordinary. And what Jesus has done for us is the greatest gift. And it's just they're talking about love and loving one another and that it is an impossible task on our own. But because we have God and we have a spirit within us, all things are possible. It says that all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for God. And he can take a heart of stone and make it this heart of flesh. He can give us a new heart, a new spirit. And this is what we're talking about today and how the practical ways of doing that. But I just, you know, I was reading, it's funny, I was just um, through 1 Corinthians, I was just reading it through it the other day and how I often think of 1 Corinthians and how I'm to give love. But actually, this is how God gives his love to us. This is also God's love for you. And I've never really looked at it through that lens. I've obviously looked at it like we've talked about today of that we can, this is how we're to love people. But I just want to encourage you today that God's love for you, he is patient with you. He is kind to you. He's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does demand his own way. He's not irritable. He keeps no record of being wronged. He does, he does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins. He never gives up. He never loses faith, never, um, he always is hopeful, endures through every circumstance. And I just think when we think about like each of those things of God in our life, like that's how God wants us to love. And because he fills us with that perfect love, that's the overflow. Right. So what we're talking about today is not a, a human love. It's a God love that we have to receive that from him, that he loves us. He loves us in a way that is perfect. And this is the greatest of love. And it goes on to say, you know, three things that will last forever is his faith, his hope, and love. And the greatest of this is love. His love will endure forever. So even as you read 1 Corinthians, there may be today that you're needing to know that, you know, God is, he loves you. He loves you and he's kind to you. He is patient with you. And so from that, we can love others with a patience and a kindness. It's an overflow. And so I just was reading that the other day. And the word for me personally was kindness. Like I was like, God, you are kind to me. Like I don't have to earn that. Like your kindness, like you are the most kind. And so the kindness I need to give is the kindness I need to receive. So oftentimes some of those those areas that we are really challenged uh, with others, if you take a step back 
there could be actually a real depletion in your own spirit of where you're receiving. So it really was a revelation for me to be like, okay, God, if I'm feeling literally like I, there's a boastfulness, almost like boasting, like I've got a, it's a striving. Like I need to boast on something. I need to earn. Actually, there's no boasting here. There's no striving. I'm just fully loved. So if I'm feeling any rubbing with someone else or like jealous of someone else, I'm not feeling secure in my love of God. Am I feeling like I'm scarce withholding? I'm not receiving the generosity and the kindness of God. So I just want to encourage you. I'm not trying to build a doctrine off something here, but just it really struck me that sometimes those depletions or the things that I'm challenged with the most are actually areas of depletion in my own life that God needs to fill with a fresh and filling of his supernatural love. Because I can't give what I don't receive. I can't give in an overflow of my spirit when I'm not actually having an abundance and a transformation, er, transformative area in my own life. I can't give from that. Or if I do, it'll be very short supplied. But he is unending. His love is unconditional and inexhaustible. It's abounding in us. So I just wanted to encourage as we finish with love that God wants to pour into you in a fresh way today so you can pour into others. I think that's our awakening moment for today. Honestly, that we where we're kind of blocked, wherever we're blocked in those relationships, whatever when you, whatever person you thought of when we describe that person, that person that does not deserve, wherever we're blocked, what's the block? And is there, have you literally blocked God's flow of what it is that you need? Because mm. honestly, you are so right on that. It has got to come from God to us if it's ever going to flow from us. So I love that. And I think that we need to meditate on that. And I think we need to bring that right into our very practical relationships of who we're trying to love. First Corinthians kind of love who we're trying to love. How can we receive from God afresh today? And honestly, if you've been going around this mountain again and again and again, and I bet you it's the same people again (laughs) and again and again, it's time to turn northward. Look to Jesus. Let him pour into you exactly what you need in order to love unconditionally. It is possible. I love how you said that. Anything is possible. And so look to Jesus. Fix your eyes today. And come to your Father's table. All this is available for you. This is a provisions of heaven because this is who God is. God is love. It says that in the Bible. He is love. This is the provisions of heaven. So all that you need is found in Him. He is the endless source and supply. So come to His table. Linger. Let Him fill you. So when you leave that table and He goes with you in your spirit, you can fill the world around you with his great love. And so be blessed today.